Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello and welcome to the episode. One of the key differences between old energy and new energy is where capital investments are taking place. So in old energy, capital investments were focused really in power plants, networks, in big assets, nearly all on the utility side of the meter. However, in new energy, a significant part of these capital investments will be focused on the customer side of the meter in distributed assets. heat pumps, batteries, PV panels, uh, big energy efficiency refurbishments. So I think of it that the energy system is being recapitalized in part in assets in customers' homes, businesses, and industrial sites. And today I'm talking with my Delta EE colleague and expert in this area, Nigel Timperley, to explore how capital investment is starting to flow into these types of assets. Is it flowing? Will it flow? In what ways? Will the finance be there to finance the downstream energy transition? So hello, Nigel. Welcome to the episode. Hello, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks very much. Um, Nigel, you've been looking at this area. And for our listeners, if you had to uh, identify a single takeaway or how you feel about it in terms of financing distributed energy, new energy, the downstream energy transition. What would be your one your one takeaway? Um, my one takeaway would probably be that all of that. First of all, it's a growing area. This is a huge growth area for investors um, of of all types, both both with you know large scale corporate investment and the small scale investor as well the the resident you know the the, the private investor with re- retail money um i would say that there are several types of investment vehicle are emerging um to suit different risk appetites and to suit different project types as well that you know certain types of investment you know would be more suited to a very yep. large project and some to very small so so we've got these different vehicles appearing though in all cases there's only a few examples of those vehicles so the vehicles are maturing what we haven't got is is lots of examples of each of those vehicles if you see what i mean yeah okay so my my impression then is that there's a there's probably more money looking to find a home than there are homes at the moment. So it's a bit of a cliche, but I think of this wall of money and then the different vehicles that you just talked about, they're ways for that money to find a home. But my sense is there's more money than homes at the moment. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, that was definitely borne out by our research um, across all uh, vehicle types. There's a there's a lot of money looking to get in, um, and um, it, it partly helped, of course, by the fact we're you know we're living in a, a low yield world, so that um, there's a lot of money that's parked. You know, who who wants to park their money at the bank, uh, earning you know negative interest in real terms? Um, and when there's so there's a lot huge... of money. There's a there's a lot of money looking for a home in general in the whole uh, whole finance sector, but yeah. a lot of that is now pointed towards the energy 
energy transition and this downstream world. Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 you know, there's an awful lot of reasons for that. You know, what one of the big macro trends that's driving this is the the rise of ESG investing. Um, enormous numbers yeah. of funds have. I mean, we're talking about four figure number of investment funds in the last couple of years rebranding themselves as ESG. Um, environmental, social, and governance factors are now taken into account. What ESG stands for. Now, it's very easy to be jaded and say. Well, how many of those uh, rebrands are, um, you know, just greenwash? So it's really the same fund underneath. Uh, but the mere fact that those companies are doing that rebrand suggests that their customers are demanding um, a broader yeah. set of investment factors are taken into account, account including in environmental funds. Uh, and the other thing well, I'd add let's to, bring it to life a bit. Look, all right, yeah. yeah. Well, I was just going to say, we're also seeing um, a, 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 quite a lot of funds that are attracting money where the, the retail price of those funds is in excess of the underlying value of the assets. You know, there's a premium there. People are paying a premium to get yeah. into these funds, which, you know, is objective evidence that they're for the wall of money thesis. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um so good to get into some of these funds early then, I guess. Um, <laughs> let's bring it to life a bit. <laughs> let's bring it to life a bit. Uh, do you want to pick out an example or two for our listeners to uh, of a vehicle that's enabling this wall of money to flow into the customer side of the meter or downstream energy transition? Well, we, we've identified a number of different vehicles, both from traditional finance, such as bank debt and bond schemes, right up to um, some more adventurous venture capital and uh, uh, schemes. Um, and as I said, there are different horses for, for different courses. But if we, if we pick out one example, perhaps, of um, a traditional or a lower risk model, um, traditional tends to be a, a synonym for lower risk, um, if you look yeah. at something like Urban Vault, um, who are an Irish um, company, their whole model is essentially a finance model. So what, 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 these, what these guys do is they, they go into their B2B customers, um, they replace their lighting with LED, uh, energy efficient LED lighting, uh, which give very predictable um, energy efficiency savings. And, and then they also talk to them about whether they can plaster their, the roof of the factory or the warehouse with uh, solar panels um, and and then typically agree a, a PPA, a power purchase agreement with the client, which gives them where the client typically buys, just buys the power and signs up to a power deal, maybe 20 years that they'll sign on to, to that power. So it's effectively a bilateral deal between Urban Vault and that company to to provide uh, supply power. That power may be even at a lower cost than than grid power. So from the client's point of view, it's a complete no-brainer. From from Urban Vault's point of view, it means they've got a guaranteed return and they can go to their investors and um, and and pay uh, uh, secure funds against that and then pay a uh, a return. On that investment, so essentially, it looks like a bond. To, to in, if you put it into traditional finance terms, the the the, the investor there is typically somebody like an investment bank or, or or a finance institution would lend a lot of money to Urban Vault, and then the, in return they would get a coupon, uh, which is an interest on that 
um, lent money. Um, and that, that yield might be quite modest, but it would typically be more than is available in um, the traditional bond marketplace where yields are currently extremely low. Um, when I talked yeah. to Urban Vault, so, so the chief executive, the, the, he actually said the most important thing for them was not the technology. It was actually the financial back end. It was nailing down um, that secure source of bond funding. Uh, that was more important than all of their installation okay. expertise or anything. It was a you know, that was the that was a real key part of what made them um, very good at what they do. So the yeah the LEDs quite straightforward, no technical risk. The solar panels relatively straightforward, no technical risk. Um, it's that I don't want to use the word financial engineering necessarily because that has some negative connotations among certain people. Uh, <laughs> but enabling the customer to get some of the benefit of that without any capital cost and then enabling the capital providers to get what they want, which is a steady, safe return. Yes, Um, but already in that you start to see an interesting idea, which is that that's not just about the money, it's about the predictability of the returns, it's a low-risk investment. So that, that isn't going to work for... Um, some breakthrough fuel cell project, you know, a moonshot or um, yeah. a type technology. It only works for certain types of very, very proven technology that give very, very steady, predictable returns. And 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 so we start to see how the how the space is evolving. That different vehicles work for different types yeah. of project. And I guess that project, the steadiness of those returns, depends on whether that customer the the factory the office building whatever it is is going to be there for another 10 years the risk around that host site and that customer uh these factors will all come into an assessment of how safe those returns are yeah yes um but but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean a, a riskier play cannot work at all at any price with, with a bond style scheme it just means that the the source of the funds will probably want a um, a higher return if they're taking on a bit more risk. So it, it will go slightly yeah. up the, the food chain. So if you look at example like bundles in, in, in the Netherlands, they've issued what are essentially bonds over a term of, say, um, I think their laundry one. But basically, essentially what you do is you're lending money to, to provide laundry services where the customer pays as they goes for, the, for a laundry service. They don't pay for the washing machine. They pay for... L- for wash washing, right? Not the not the machine itself, but somebody's yep. got to pay yep. for that washing machine on the floor, right? And and so their uh, bond and um, funds that, but because that's riskier, okay? You've got you've got an appliance sitting in somebody's home. Goodness knows what could go happen to that, but you know it's out at a customer site. Therefore, those bonds typically pay five point five percent over. I think they're five years. Those right. ones. Um, so, you know, rather than the kind of returns that Urban Vault are paying, which I, I don't know exactly what they are, but they're, they're less than that. So you, you start, again, you know, a typical bond model, you you would expect a higher return the, the more risk you take on as a lender. And when you talk to companies like, not speaking specifics, but companies like Urban Vault, like bundles with these sorts of models, do they have trouble raising money? Or do they have trouble structuring deals that are attractive to investors? Or is that not a challenge to them? 
I think it, who de- it depends who they're raising the money from. Um, so it can be difficult. Uh, Urban Vault is run by three ex-investment bankers, so they're very well-connected individuals. And uh, I think it's three. I'm, I'm saying that off the top of my head, but it's certainly, you know, they've got, th- these guys are essentially from yep. a finance background, not from a, a technical um, new energy background. Um, so that gives them those connections, um, which which is easier. Um, but even then, you know, they had to work very hard to make that work. Um, bundles, uh, yep. their audience is the retail investor, okay? But m- many of the same people who are uh, paying for their laundry service will be the same people who are actually buying, uh, who are investing, because that tends to be very small amounts of money. Yes, it's quite a virtuous circle. So, so um, you yeah, know, they're, yeah. they're buying into a concept of a circular economy, and they're becoming part of that con- circular economy. And, and you start to move there into a separate vehicle, which, which we're also interested in, which is crowdfunding. Okay, so crowdfunding tends to come with slightly different drivers. Um, and, and, you know, whereas something like Urban Vault's model, essentially it's, it's a banking-driven model, if, if you like, so it's purely yeah. a finance play with some CSR value, um, the, the bundles model is, is very much appealing to people who, you know, they believe in the, in, in the CS, in not, they believe in the, the, the new energy future and in the circular economy. They want yeah. to, to be part of a whole new world. So there's an emotional benefit there to the to the cost to the investor in addition to the financial benefit um so 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 that and you've got some other examples like that in yes we have we have in fact there are examples of crowdfunding in in energy communities and topics like that where people are clubbing together to put uh to build a local wind turbine or to build solar panels in their community and to benefit from that and they're investing that as well i guess yeah, yeah. They, they, these things tended to start off. That's right. Community scale works really well for crowdfunding. It works well for quite modest size projects, you know, in terms of investment, maybe up to a few yeah. million euros. Um, but you're starting to see as well, some companies are, you know, people are starting to realize, well, actually, we can copy and paste that model. So you've got people like Energie Partage, which is a French social enterprise that goes around France effectively seeding these community projects um, across the country, so so rather than it just being a one-off in one particularly energetic community, and then it doesn't go anywhere else. Energy Partage are saying, okay, we can, we, we've learned how to do this in community A. Let's copy and paste that model to community B. So it, it starts to have e- each one has their own local character, their own local um, uh, terms and conditions, and so on. But it but it starts to be a, a bit more scalable because of the way they've approached it. I'm not aware of anybody other than Energy Partage taking that sort of copy and paste approach. It's quite an innovative idea, and I think it could work in other European countries. That's one to take a closer look at. So we've talked about that first route is maybe traditional investment bank finance or people with large managing large amounts of capital looking for a steady return. The crowdfunding model, uh, my guess is some of our listeners may be thinking crowdfunding, yep quite cute quite nice but is that really scalable if we're if we look at the energy transition we're going to need trillions invested on the customer side of the meter can crowdfunding make a dent into that level of investment that we need what what's your thoughts on that um 
it's it, yeah, it's there are limits. Um, I, 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 as I said, there are you know there are sites, there are companies that will allow you to to crowdfund one PV project after another at community scale. But you're right, there are clearly limits, and it's very much part of our analysis. You know, our findings that there are different uh, fund types work for for different kinds of projects. So you know. Th- th- there are certain characteristics to crowdfunding. It tends to be quite conservative with with a small C. Um, it tends to be, you know, community projects are great if I'm very invested in my community. I mean, emotionally as well as financially. Uh, you know, I care about having a PV array at my local primary school, um, but it's probably not the right source of funds for some um, innovative uh, technology project. Uh, say in the hydrogen space that may happen or, or may not, and and some of the more um, more more adventurous projects, as the ne- as the word the adjective suggests, are attracting venture capital. And venture capital is has definitely discovered new energy after a slow start, um, and, yeah. Um, yeah. and and that's where I see the really big numbers. That's where we see the really big numbers coming in because venture capital isn't interested in putting PV on your local primary school, it's interested in a massive exit, you know, from 100 million euros or type projects, potentially. But not, yeah. not always of that yeah. size. Some, some of them go to low millions, but they're looking for the very big numbers. So so, so in that, so we'd see different players entering that space, I think. And that, that's what we are seeing, in fact. Another category is investment trusts. So there's been quite a few investment trusts being established around financing clean energy, energy efficiency on the customer side of the meter. Um, can you tell, help yeah. our listeners understand what these, how these investment trusts are structured and what you're seeing in this, this space? Um, these are particularly popular in the UK. Also, we see them in Japan. Essentially, what they are are um, a pot of money um, set up as a company, um, which... Uh, in fact, any investor can invest in you buy a share in the investment trust, um, and that investment trust then invests in underlying companies. So, so from the investor's point of view, there's, there's an element of um, risk um, management because my uh, investment dollar is spread maybe across 20, 30, 40 different um, investments, um, and the investment manager in the in the trust will then typically invest in a specific um, type of investment. So, so for instance, we're seeing a lot of um, energy efficiency um, investment trusts. So, so they will um, take, they'll raise funds and have a big pot of cash, and then um, they will um, set off looking for energy efficiency projects that they can invest in. Um, and that will generate a yield. And a, a lot of these are B2B style projects, again, with fairly predictable returns, though, though not always. Um, and, um, and and they often also include some uh, uh, renewables as well. So so those, those two. But we're also seeing some really interesting ones, um, people starting to invest in... Um, um, in projects that that essentially are forms of f- flexibility type trading y- using batteries um perhaps so that um private investors can gain access to some of the returns that TSOs and DSOs may pay for fl- flexibility services so so that's that's quite an interesting way in it's it's you know that for the retail investor en- um the energy transition has tended to mean 
you know, the very visible stuff like big wind and renewables and so on, you know, very green projects. But now we're starting to see these more technical new energy innovations, which are absolutely vital to the transition. Um, and these trusts give give investors that um, that way in. Now, they are definitely higher risk than bond schemes, you know, and bank debt, which is just... Um, you know, about as low risk as you can get, really. But but these tend to yeah. involve, you know, investing in companies that do certain things or investing in specific projects. Uh, but but the, the portfolio element de-risks them quite significantly. It, and there are variants. I mean, you've got you've got companies as well, like in the States, you've got, if you look at, say, um, Hannon Armstrong, which is a, a huge American company. It's not a Trust it, it positions itself as a, a renewable and energy efficiency investor, um, and, and it's you know it, this is it's perfected this model. Actually, there isn't really an equivalent to Hannon Armstrong in, in Europe. It fascinates me that nobody's attempting to copy their their model. But essentially, they mm. they, uh, rate, they issue um, all sorts of um, bonds and all sorts of schemes to raise money and then invest in cash generative new energy projects that yield significantly more than than you're going to get at the bank and and then we'll pay pay that back uh, over time to the um, customer Hannah Armstrong uh, if you look them up on the Dow I've had a very good run um but you know there's just such a number of these projects around at the moment that it's possible yeah. for investors like that to cherry pick quite attractive projects and the I was going to say the the fundamental principle is that the projects must have good underlying economics. So the the LEDs we talked about, the solar panels on roofs, the energy efficiency projects, they've all got to be underpinned by uh, attractive fundamental economics. That's maybe not the case. The exception would be venture capital, where you're taking a risk. So there's more. There is riskier money on things that aren't yet profitable but will be profitable in the future um so would you agree that most of the time you've got to have good fundamental economics or are there other models that are more speculative about investing in things like venture capital that what will be profitable what, what, in the future yeah v- v- venture capital is the obvious one that comes to mind even more speculative are spacs yeah. Um, which um, I can never remember what it stands for. Our listeners for, who don't know SPAC, uh, yeah, SPAC is a special yeah. purpose acquisition company, and it, it has a particularly US feel, but in fact can be can be done in in, in Europe as well. Um, but essentially, what it is is a a company without portfolio, if you like. So somebody establishes a company that has no operational business, uh, lists that company yeah. on the stock market. And then looks for a private unlisted company that has enormous growth potential and acquires it. So for that company that's acquired, in effect, it's a it's a very quick way of, of floating that company because all of the floating, you know, going live right. in the stock market has already been done by the SPAC in advance. Um, so it's okay. become very fashionable in the, in the US, but it's very, very, very risky. It, a lot depends when you, when you invest in this, you're investing in a business that has no business, right? And you're depending on them making a good choice. You're almost giving it a, a mandate. Yes, you are giving a mandate to invest you're your money. You're almost giving it a mandate will. to invest your money. Go and... Yes. Yeah. And any in of these company. in the energy, <laughs> the downstream energy space. 
in downstream uh, energy. Are, are there many? Are you seeing many SPACs in the down? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we are um, specifically in EVs. Um, that that's really where they've made a. You know, right. electric vehicles have become a glam. SPACs very much go with glamour uh, sectors. Okay. Um, I, both in energy and, and well beyond, um, but in in our new energy space, it's it's really about it's predominantly EVs, not not all, and we are, we are starting to see one or two other ones, but that can be both the EV companies themselves and um, uh, all the infrastructure around EVs, uh, seen as a huge growth area. So um, in the US, the charging networks, absolutely, absolutely, and and and, and so it. They become a way of supercharging rollouts because if you've got 100 million euros sitting in your coffer, you can go and make a land grab for all the best CPO, all the best charge point uh, locations um, before yeah. somebody else does. Yeah. Um, so, so SPACs are very, have fueled, uh, you know, are certainly one of the things that can fuel that kind of um, um, land grab, if you like, for grow, growing businesses, and and uh, and and the numbers involved. The whole point of a spac is it's a high risk, high reward game. Um, so, of all the vehicles we've talked about, it's definitely the riskiest. Um, you know, it's it's it's, yeah. it's, it's 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 but equally, it's the one that could give you the biggest payback. And it, it's very much for moonshot projects, is, is what I would say. So, anything that sounds a long shot but could make you very very wealthy indeed, a spac would look at. Um, <laughs> and just to give you an idea, yeah. you know, the US SPACs um, replace IPOs, you know, the traditional way of floating. Mm-hmm. This year, there's been more money in, um, yeah. made by SPACs than by IPOs in, in terms of uh, the scale of those those huh. uh, floats. So, Nigel, it's we've gone through a lot of different vehicles or ways for finance to flow into the downstream energy transition. It's all sounding quite exciting, but uh, it's by no means going to be smooth, is it? Or has been smooth? There, we haven't focused much on the challenges. But how, if I ask you, how mu- how much will this be plain sailing, and how much is it going to be a really bumpy road as lessons are learned by these different types of vehicles, and there'll be mistakes and I don't know a dot com bubble type crash. Um, what's your view? Um, I think I think all those risks do exist uh, without without a shadow of a doubt. Um, you know this this screams portfolio. Okay, anybody getting into this has to think broadly. You know this isn't investment advice. Delta doesn't do investment advice. I think we should say that. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, but 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 you know having having said that, you know and that that is the case. Um, if you look at our new energy business model service, we've, we've been picking companies that we think are interesting new energy companies. We interview them. We write case studies about them. Um, we drill down into what makes their business models exciting. Um, we had a look the other day, something like 40% of the ones on our, you know, we've got a very large database getting on for 500 analyzed companies. Something like 40% of them have, have attracted investment over the last three or four years. Um, either by total acquisition or or by partial investment, you know this has become a very very attractive mm. area for investors. VCs are excited about it. Now, you know, with any with any exciting new space, you always get a bit of overheating, and and there there is a risk of a bubble yeah. forming potentially. But I would suggest the sheer scale of the transition, we're a long long way from bubble territory. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. 
when we were chatting earlier, Nigel, in preparation of this, just back of the envelope calculation about just take residential heat pumps across Europe. There's a, close to around a million of those being installed a year. Compare the premium on a heat pump to a, a gas or oil boiler. Uh, that's uh, sometimes in the, re- in the region of 10,000 pounds, 10,000 euros. Uh, might be five, might be 12. Let's call it a 10 for a round number. Um, so you've got a million times 10,000 a year just for heat pumps in homes in Europe. And that market's going to grow and grow and grow and be a lot bigger than a million. So trillions is a big number and people go, oh, yeah, that's a, are you are you sure? But I think it will require trillions over the next years um, if we're to get anywhere close to our, our, tar- our 2030 targets. Yes, I, I'd, I'd agree with that. And I think the key is that they have to attract that kind of number there have to be returns for the investor. Um, and that, so that means, you know, in a way, new energy is about in, engaging with customers. That, you know, so that's almost, in, in a sense, what new energy is, engaging with customers about the transition. Mm-hmm. Part of that engagement is to help those customers participate in the financial returns as well of new energy. You know, as we saw, I mentioned with bundles, yeah. that's one tiny example, okay. but crowd schemes are another one. People are getting yeah. emotional benefits from investing in their community, but they're also getting financial returns. They can see they're greening their community, but it's also yeah. paying them a yield. Well, so it's a, it's a very, you know, it's a, quite a nice democratization story. Energy in the past has had this fat cat image of, you know, of a small number of companies getting very, you know, doing very well um, at, at and the rest of us just paying the bills. That's not what new energy looks like in the future. We need to get, we need to share those benefits yeah. with with the community as a whole, the community of investors, because that community of investors will very largely be the community of customers too. So thinking about those heat pumps, some customers will pay up front for their heat pumps. An increasing proportion will pay for the service, and it will yeah. be uh, a service provider, an investor that will pay for those heat pumps. Those investors could be in some people's mind those the fat cats the the capitalist uh financiers but sitting behind that is often pension funds where all our money is Uh, and sitting behind that could be retail investors who are financing this themselves and make uh contributing to the energy transition through investing yes that that's right that's how i see the predominant um vehicle for 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 private investors a lot of these investment funds will will be attractive because yeah. of these yields they'll be attractive to pension funds and and you know what a lovely virtuous story right you know pension funds are about the future and that's what new energy is all about so people yeah. getting a yield from investing in their own future and the future of the community yeah. so it's a it's a very positive story but what i would say is it's one that's not talked about enough and, that, and that's why we're doing this today so, you know it's a when you say trillions yeah. I, I, my back of a five packet calculation is low trillions yes so um i, I think that is a, a valid observation yeah. well on that positive note, let's bring out the talking new energy crystal ball and <laughs> set the dial to 2026. Uh, so bringing, coming back to the question at the beginning, there's a wall of money looking for a home in the downstream energy transition. There are some emerging, well, more than emerging. There are 
a number of ways, vehicles, investment opportunities, connecting this wall of money to the downstream energy transition. But at the moment, there's not enough of those vehicles or ways existing to, for the, all of that money to flow to the opportunities. So by 2026, five years time, will there be enough ways to match that supply of opportunities with that demand from that wall of money looking to invest their money in the downstream energy transition? Um, so, yeah, it's, what do you think? Yeah, it's a difficult one, that, John. Um, my, my immediate response well, they're is... They're never easy, the crystal ball question. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it seems a bit fuzzy, this this particular one. My immediate response is we are seeing lots more of these funds appearing. A lot more people are starting to say, hey, you know, there is demand for this. Let's, let's, um, let's set up a fund. A, a lot of those funds are um, oversubscribed when they float. And when they when they're then traded, they often trade at a premium to their underlying uh, the underlying value of their assets. So again, that suggests very strongly there's a lot of demand. The, the, the rise in ESG investing also corroborates that story. So so I think we're going to see a huge growth in yeah. demand. We will see in response to that a growth in the number of vehicles. So I think both will go up. But actually, within five years, I still think demand will probably be ahead of the number of vehicles because I think demand will grow immensely um, ahead of of the market's ability to respond. If you said 10 to 15 years out, my my response might be rather different. But there's so much to do that we are not going to soak up all that demand and all those projects in five years would be my short answer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, my take on it is we probably need more people connecting the two worlds of finance and downstream energy. And I love the example of Urban Vault being set up by investment bankers, mm. uh, not by LED specialists or solar specialists. Um, and I, I do see more and more people connecting the two worlds together. Um, I, I, I think I like to, I like, debate and disagreement sometimes Nigel but I think I broadly agree with you that the the demand for investment opportunities will probably continue to outstrip the supply but mm. in a way that's a good thing for the energy transition because if the business models are developed that enable the two to come together then we'll see a lot more distributed energy we'll see the downstream energy transition accelerated yeah so yeah um time's got the better of us yeah uh we'll leave it there we i hope for everyone listening that was a uh an interesting glimpse into the world of finance and maybe has seeded a few ideas about how your work in the energy transition can be connected with the investment the investors who are looking to uh get a return for investing in the, the downstream energy transition thanks for listening we'll explore this topic further in the next weeks with some other guests um Thanks again, Nigel. Uh, And look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode next week. Thanks and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, 
then please visit www.delta-ee.com. Thank you.